Welcome to Sling Stones, a podcast with insights for the Christian journey, proudly brought to you by Healing Care Ministries. Before today's show, we'd like to share about a unique opportunity to join Terry and a small group of others for four days of prayer, retreat, and teaching at the Healing Care Center in Ashland, Ohio. This retreat, titled Lord, Teach Us to Pray, is coming up September 6th through the 9th and is limited to 15 participants, but a few spots remain open. If you need a time of refreshment, it's our joy to offer you this opportunity. For more information or to sign up, go to healingcare.org backslash events and click on the link for Lord Teach Us to Pray. We would love to have you join us. Now here's Terry Wardle with today's episode. I hope you're doing well today. I've mentioned a couple times, but I want to focus on that a bit today, that I have a new book coming out. The book is called From Broken to Beloved, A Journey of Awakening, and it's basically about understanding the truth that God has deposited tremendous blessing and gifting inside of all of us and how we, through the Spirit, can awaken to that and God's commitment to see all that he's done for us be unveiled so that we can walk in the real freedom that Jesus Christ has brought us. I would appreciate it if you'd consider ordering it or pre-ordering it. It's supposed to come out on September 7th. It's available, I know, on Amazon, but probably on Barnes & Noble and on other sites. And Well, if you would, I'd really appreciate it if you'd consider ordering it and reading it and then write a review. But what I want to do today is I want to read a little section from that book that has to do with the fact that all of us have inside a story and that we need to be able to tell that story and see God redeem that story. So if you will, I'll read a little bit and then I'll talk about that. An excerpt from my book, From Broken to Beloved. Bullcratic was the most reviled man in our small town. As a boy, I noticed the way men would laugh with a scent of superiority whenever they caught sight of him, pointing him out and shaking their heads in disgust. Women would cross the street if he was on the sidewalk ahead of them, and mothers would yank their kids away if they happened to stumble upon them in a doorway or in an alley. Bull was far from invisible in our little blue-collar village, though I'm sure he would prefer it that way. Nobody wanted to be friends with the notorious town drunk. Bull's presence along the streets of Finleyville was as much a fixture as the stores that lined Washington Avenue. He was a local character as familiar to me as Marg Lutz, who ran the post office, Ad Tomko, who cut my hair at the barbershop, and Doobie Dubs, who handed out free wieners to kids who entered his grocery store. The name Bullcratic was known by everyone in town, but I doubt if anybody, anyone actually knew the man himself. Bull was in his late 30s or early 40s when I became aware of him. His hair and his beard were black and matted together like an old ball of twine dung up from the creekside mud. He usually smelled of alcohol and grime collected while lying in the streets in a drunken stupor 
with skin covered by a thick coat of hair, he reminded me of the gorilla suit I once saw in Rosenberg's department store. His clothes were filthy, the evidence of too many nights sleeping in alleyways. Even as a young boy, I knew where Bull was likely to be piled up asleep in Finleyville. He was predictable that way. If he wasn't lying behind the hardware store, he would be seen stumbling down Main Street, leaning in a doorway with his chin on his chest, or begging for money outside the local tavern. More than once, I saw him sleeping one off behind the auto repair shop. People were just not kind to Bull. I once asked some relatives how Bull ended up that way. Nobody seemed to know or care. There was a story there for sure. Maybe it was his experience as an infantry soldier in World War II or the rotten fruit of a bad childhood or the enduring pain of lost love. When I asked, the answer was, oh, that's just Bull. He's a drunk. Even as a boy, I began to look at Bull with inherited contempt. After seeing Bull stumble along for years, something happened that shocked me to the core. The Pittsburgh Pirates were going to the World Series in 1960. And our town's enthusiasm had elevated to a fever pitch. Signs that read, beat em bucks, were plastered all over local stores. People were spouting off about how the bucks were going to beat those Yankees this time. Bravado spewed from old men with big bellies and loud mouths. In the midst of all this bragging, something happened that captured the attention of the entire town. Bull Craddock was promised an ample supply of alcohol if he would paint some murals of the Pittsburgh Pirates on the alleyways and storefronts in Finleyville. He was still disheveled and unkept, but he dried out enough to create images that rivaled anything Disney could have produced. People came from all over and stared, stupefied, that his art was the work of the town drunk. The owner of a hardware store, a guy named Obi, purchased a beat-up car and had Bull painted bumper-to-bumper with images of the Pittsburgh Pirates. It was so stunning that people from big-town newspapers came, took photographs of our town in that car, and it showed up not just on the sport pages, but on the front page of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and the Pittsburgh Press. Everyone had the same reaction. Who knew? Certainly no one around our home thought Bull had it in him. But sadly, Bull's light went out as soon as Bill Mazeroski hit the game-winning home run in the bottom of the ninth. Townspeople celebrated, and Bull Craddock got lost once again in the bottle, never again to display the hidden masterpiece that shone forth in the fall of 1960. It seems that no one had the time or patience to help Bull find the one who had originally placed this wonder inside of him. I never looked at Bull the same. Even as a child, I was aware that there was more there, a story there. And for a moment, something beautiful had leaked out, forced its way to the surface, And in that moment, we were the better for it. And I had always wished that that story would have stayed longer for us all. Now, I just just got done sharing this very story and reading it at an event where I preached just a few days before. 
And the focal point is the idea that deep inside of all of us lies something beautiful. But often what is beautiful is really smothered out and encased in something dark. And because there's usually a darkness in the story of our lives, we don't want to tell the story of our lives. And yet part of the gospel is this ability to position people to tell their dark story so that God can then meet them in their story and turn that which is ugly into something that is beautiful. This is at the heart of Genesis 50, verse 20, where Joseph is talking and saying that what you did was intended for evil, but God used it and brought something good out of it. And there are a lot of stories like this in our lives where people experience something very, very dark, but finally they got the courage to talk about it. And as they talked about it, what was ugly became beautiful because God began to use it in a way that changed other people's lives and their own life. This is the story of Charles Colson, you know, this manip manipulative political lawyer who ends up going to prison and yet finds Jesus and ends up having a beautiful story of ministry. It's about Howard Thurman, who was raised in the Jim Crow South. And how out of that he learned that his identity was a child of God. Or Rosa Parks, think of her. She went from the back of the bus to leading the civil rights movement. We can go on and on. Corey Ten Boone, Boom is certainly an example of this, a person that had a dark, dark piece of her story. And yet out of it, in telling it, God met her. You see, I know what it's like, and you know what it's like to have pieces of our story be tough and dark and not good. Maybe something we did, maybe something done to us, maybe something we didn't do, maybe something someone didn't do for us, and it's caused a wounding, and it's caused hurt and pain, and we don't want to re revisit it, and yet the glory of the gospel is that underneath that story is some light that can come forth if we let Jesus in to redeem that part of the story. One of the things I was sharing <clears throat> um, that I want to emphasize to you is that Paul wants us to know when he writes that most folks didn't see the cross as something beautiful. They saw it as a sign of loss, of shame, of defeat, of desolation, and of death. And certainly Frederick Nietzsche gathered those thoughts around his own speaking about Jesus. He believed that life needed to be driven by these superhumans, and Jesus was simply weak and let people abuse him. I think it's probably true that on Thursday and Friday of the week of Passion, evil rejoiced, and the followers of Christ were certainly fearful and very disheartened. But the scripture says that Jesus despised all that shame because of the joy set before him, meaning that he knew that that story of darkness would become a great light and something beautiful would emerge from what others saw as ugly. And when you begin to think about the cross and cruciform love, you do see that beauty does emerge. And we begin, to, we begin to see things we can't see, like the beauty of not using power for personal gain. Jesus only used his power to help others. The beauty of never returning evil for evil or relating to others with you, even in the midst of brokenness, promising them a new day. 
and how, to suffer, how out of suffering and sacrifice can come something amazing. The cross always promises there's a new day and that out of that which is ugly, beauty can emerge. So I'm sharing this because I, I look at my own story and I see that is true that, well, some of the very places I'd have rather hidden and that I know that people told me not to talk about, God met me there. And he redeemed me there. You know, it was the great Quaker, Thomas Kelly, who talked about the fact that deep inside of us is a light, the light of God, the light of his image. But often all the brokenness and all the bad things that we've done and the bad things that have happened, it piles on that light so that it hardly feels that it's even present. And it feels dark and it feels ugly. But if we can tell the story, find a safe place to share what's happened to us and let Jesus come in and heal us and free us, that all of a sudden what we find is in the very place where we experience shame, God brings an inheritance. That's one of the things he says in the book of Zephaniah. That in the land of our shame, he will bring us praise. I think this is important for us to know. And this is the heart of why I felt led to write this book, From Broken to Beloved, A Journey of Awakening, so that we could see that there is wonder inside of us and then talk a little bit in this book about what is it that keeps the wonder from coming forth. And then I end the book with seven chapters on specific wonder that is inside of you and others. I didn't write this book to make money. I know that I don't sell that many books. But I wrote it in hopes that no matter how bad the story is, that there is this belief that God has done something incredible inside of human beings. And he wants to meet them in the dark story to turn that which is ugly into that which is beautiful. I'm sure that's what he's done in your life. I'm sure that that's what he'll continue to do in our lives. May God bless you today. 